as as a reward for our listeners for um, putting up with last time's <laughs> oh, so shoddy. Audio. We've never been had so many complaints. We're in just now Crab's dead silent office. <laughs> we promise to never leave here again. It's just it was the it was the wounded nature of a lot of the fair. It was like you know, like when you're when you're. You've done something so bad that your parents aren't even angry with you. They're disappointed. It was a bit like that. Someone was pinned like, you up against the wall in the car park, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I was bailed up by this woman just like, listen, that was terrible. It was really terrible. <laughs> My God. I'm like, okay. All right. Um, but, yes, so now we're in an extremely uh, – we're in the priest hole. In my we office, are. that was the reaction to the last podcast was so bad. In fact, that we actually exchanged emails saying, "I think it's time for us to get serious and get some proper audio equipment." But that's as far as we got because that's how we roll. Oh yeah, that hasn't actually happened. Of course, course it but, hasn't. Uh, yeah, of course it hasn't. Little, little, little. Uh, anyway, now what have you been up to, love? Well, I've been in um, Canberra filming for two weeks, mm -hmm. just absolutely full on, because we're doing a, a new project, me and the kitchen cabinet team. Mm -hmm. We're doing a, um, a documentary about Parliament House, oh, awesome. kind of along the lines of um, the Inside the Commons doco that the BBC made about Westminster, which I just loved yeah. and immediately thought, you know, oh, we could do something like that here. It took, I think... Um, nearly two years to get the negotiations concluded to oh. actually get cameras in there because there's most of Parliament House you're not allowed to film in. Right. But um, it's just been so interesting and look, there are just so many characters in Parliament House that you never meet normally. So it's about the behind the scenes, yeah. how Parliament House works. Right? Yeah. So we're yeah. filming with politicians but also with people who just do the most crazy, fascinating jobs in that building. and. There's a, there's a lot of gold to like be mined. what sort of jobs? Well, like, for instance, I mean, one thing that I think it's impossible to know about Parliament House unless somebody comes and shows you is that, you know, it's a huge building, right? Four and a half thousand people work there when Parliament's up and running. Um, but there's a basement, like there's an underground system of tunnels um, that is larger in terms of floor space than the building itself mm. upstairs. And it's populated by this incredible tribe of um, Parliament House workers, you know, who do the most extraordinary jobs. Um, and, and every single thing that comes into Parliament House comes in and out of the, um, what they call the loading dock, which is run by this fabulous woman called Sandy. Um, and there's like, you know, woodworking workshops, huge chiller and heating units. Um, there's um, all the kitchens are down there. There's a stonemason who works down mm. there. Like they've got the most extraordinary people. Wow. The mailroom and what's the show going to be called? I don't know, actually. And what's going to be the air date? Uh, it'll be the middle of next year. Oh, great. Okay. So, so I mean, we're still filming, but there's just like so much cutting and editing. And it turns out that making documentaries is really tricky. Yeah, I know. Just uh, you know that how you're just talking about the tunnels underneath. Yeah. So you know, in the um, U.S. Capitol, yeah. um, there's a little train in the tunnel oh, that takes that. you from the House of Reps to the Senate because it's so, so big cool. and unwieldy. Same sort of scenario. It's very cool to have a building that has its own rail network system. underneath. It, well, there's yeah. cars that drive around outside inside Parliament House downstairs. It's oh, like yeah. they have little electric vehicles that zoom around. Wow. It's, yeah, and there's like little road trains that drive around in there, full of stuff. Well, you have and, to with all the gear that you're yeah. carting around. Too. Oh god, it's so it's so interesting. Anyway, and of course we were there for the last two weeks of the Parliament, which means that we captured a lot of that. 
crazy last-minute negotiations oh, cool. on those big bits of legislation. And have you captured any um, good bits of gossip, like for, from the kitchen people, like for example, Shane Warne style, that you know, only <laughs> baked beans on the tour of India? Have we got any like good food revelations about people? Well, that would be giving stuff away. Mm. There are lots of good revelations, but hey, you have to wait till the middle of next year. Do you know what we should maybe do for our Christmas episode? Because I've always wanted to try it after I saw it on your little kitchen al dente show. Yeah. Um, what James McGrath does with Milo vanilla ice cream and, <laughs> and rum. a nip of rum. That, yeah. that looked delicious. Yeah, your little Queensland eyes really lit up when you saw that. <laughs> did, he, did he mush it into a Mr Whippy? Correct, yeah. yeah. That's, I think, that, the only way to apply in those circumstances. pretty Actually, I rang him up last week and it was about, I said, oh, can I come around and see your office? Because James McGrath, whose current title now, he's a minister, is uh, he's now the minister assisting the Prime Minister, the most foolish um, business card ever, but... <laughs> Um, he's got. He's just got an absolute thing for collecting trinkets and things. So his office is just full of. He's got a dunny seat taped to the wall. He's got um, crochet rugs everywhere that lovely ladies from his uh, area knitted for him. Do you know Jake Smith, who works in Barnaby Joyce's office? Yeah. Mm. So he collects uh, menus from Imperial dinners. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. And actually, uh, put out a book with all of them in, um, and so people, TV. yeah, and so people. Um, How did I not know that? They, you know, there'll be auctions around the world. It'll be you know an original menu from Winston Churchill's dinner with the Queen in da da da, wow. or from so and so's coronation dinner, or from Richard Nixon's you know inauguration God. dinner or whatever. Um, and so he's got quite the collection of I amazing. Find, and he's published this yeah. book. Yeah, a few I've years ago now, that. maybe ten years ago. Yeah. Um, I do love a bit of um, political and food memorabilia. Somebody sent me um, this absolutely fabulous book called Labour in the Kitchen, Favourite <laughs> Recipes of Prominent Labour Personalities. And, like, God, it's like the Hawk cabinet. And so there's Paul Keating's avocado soup. It's just so appropriate that he made an avocado soup. That would be Bob Carr's steamed fish and ginger sauce. Nothing's uh, changed there. I like um, Michael Labarch. Simplicity chocolate cake. This, yeah. What about, um, oh, here's a good one. Uh, Rose Crowley's wok fried leftovers. Yeah, nice. What's, what's Garbure? Oh, no, Gordon Bilney, page 27. Have a look at that. Garbure is, okay. Or it could be Garbure. Beans, oh, it's kind of like a beanie turnipy carroty soup. Can you just tell me what's in Keating's avocado soup? That oh, look, just, just bitterness and... Uh, <laughs> um, okay, three avocados, eight grams of curry powder. Oh, delish. Uh, 300 mils of double cream, 900 mils of stock, 15 mils of lemon juice. 15 mils, not the juice of half a lemon. 15 mils. Love, all right, take that down. Okay, love? Um, cayenne pepper, yes, yeah, quite. Chopped parsley, salt, black pepper. Well, maybe it's all right. It's probably chop, nice. Chop and the fruit of the avocados. <laughs> but there's, I think it's some um, Bob Hawkes is. Oh yeah, here we go. Hawkes is called Popeye Plus. Oh. Page thirty-five. Popeye Plus. Ingredients: a lot of spinach. <laughs> <laughs> the man's a genius in the kitchen. Olive oil, one or two more, one or more cloves of garlic, sliced. Ground black pepper and ground salt. Well, there you go. And you just sauté it all. That's really yeah. good. Um, hey, I was making, doing some Christmas baking, and I was making from your cookbook, Christabel Spicy Nuts, which oh, I make every year, which is nut. your mother's recipe. They're so delicious. And one of your uh, 
sort of selling points of the Christabel spicy nut is that it's a way to keep children away from eating your gear. Yeah, um, although that's gone horribly wrong in my gone, house. Well, oh, so your children eat them too? Yeah, I keep upping the cayenne pepper and they're like, <laughs> it hurts, mummy, but it's still delicious. <laughs> I think I've got to do something. Wow, you're evil, man. Well, she's a home girl. Dogs is listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, my two-year-old just was smashing them back. Like, yeah, but no, your two-year-old is like oh, a. He's just yeah, really. He always is trying to steal coffee out of people's coffee cups. His palate is out of control. I remember being on holiday with you um, recently when we were going. We went to see some sort of cultural event, and um, your beloved husband had a beer, and. Um, <laughs> Your two-year-old grabbed the empty bottle and started swaggering around and then, like, oh. tipping it up, like, trying to get the last bit. So I'm like, God, gold if there were a paparazzo oh, here. God. Saw that Lee Sales uh, with a kid drinking a beer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the girl out of Queensland. <laughs> that reminded me of um, on that same holiday, uh, we were, there was a ceremony that we took the children to with some firewalkers. Yes. And the guy who introduced the firewalkers Let's just say he made, you know, Malcolm Turnbull look really succinct. He was pretty expansive <laughs> in the was. explanation of a lot of background. Mm. Anyway, someone else who was with us told me that in their family, um, doing an Uncle Jimmy has become now parlance for just going on too yeah. long. And say so the kids, his kids now say, um, less talking, more walking. <laughs> 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 you had to be there, listeners, to get the full extent of that situation anyway um now listen i uh knocked over it's only short short six episodes or eight episodes i think um deutschland 83 the americans withdrawal so this is something that you're now going to bully me into watching yep yeah all right look it's 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 pretty much filled about 25 percent of the americans shaped hole in my heart okay right there's one more series isn't there coming of deutschland no the americans yeah but they haven't even started shooting it yet oh god um, anyway, Deutschland 83, so same era, Cold War. Yeah. Kid growing up in East Germany has to go and be a spy in West Germany. Oh, okay. Chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you like a bit of a spy thriller. And is it Auf Deutsch or? Yeah. On yeah. SNC. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Es ist Deutsch. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a German production, I think. Oh, Although, good. funnily enough, a friend of mine who works for the BBC was telling me about some uh, show, which now the name escapes me, and it's French. It, it's, done, it's done in French language. Yeah. She, said, she said it's French, but it's sort of Scandi Noir, but it's made by the BBC. So I'm thinking, oh, oh is everyone now just writing their stuff for the BBC? But they're like, you know what, let's just say it in Danish or yeah. French or something, so it looks Scandi Noir. <laughs> just not the lighting down a little bit. It's political correctness gone mad, my dear. We're going to start doing 7.30 Scandi Noir. I I think that's great. Just going to knock the lighting down a little bit. I'd totally tune into that. And I'm going to do it in Danish. Yeah. (laughs) Tuck the den, Mr. Turnbull. (laughs) (laughs) I thought my friend Alice um, said that after she'd watched um, Borgen for a while, she became convinced that she could speak Danish (laughs) just because she'd watched so much of it and she could actually kind of remember key phrases. Funny. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, did you see um, our hero Ghana got a gigantic uh, feature written about her in the New York? I know, I know. God, I love it when that lady succeeds. Oh, it's just, it gives you faith in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a very flattering I know. Writer. You um, had an exchange with her, didn't you? I didn't, but... Yeah, just to say, oh my God, <laughs> there's a whole feature about you in the New Yorker. Um, and yeah, she was obviously... Humble and yet chuffed. Yeah. Humble chuffed. Humble chuffed. You know, huffed. Um, <laughs> Chumbled. It had a line from her that I just, I don't think I'd, 
read before, but it just made me sob with laughter that she had described herself as an grim lady with a notebook and a cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I know, it's just it's so good, isn't it? That's like, I reread on the weekend The Spare Room. Yeah. Um, oh, with that great line, you know, my, um, uh, my house is seven blocks from the train station, no, longer if you've got cancer. Five minutes from the train station. Yeah. It's a five minute walk from the train station, 20 if you've got cancer. Yeah. Um, I can't believe that you said that line because I was about to say that line <laughs> as well. Like, but, I mean, there's so many lines in it that just yeah. blow your mind. But, oh, but it's just that thing again of... Um, just the like punches that her writing packs yeah. in a really few number of words. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so yeah, have a look at the piece in the New Yorker. It's really good. Yes, that was um, uh, a timely recognition. Mm. We should have a Helen Garner day in this country, really. Mm, I, I think agree. it's an oversight that we haven't. No, I, um, I did something recently that will make you very pleased. Yes. Um, and that is that I watched several carpool karaoke's. Oh, oh that's my present for you. Oh, what a pleasure. So I started off and watched the Adele one because oh, I really, yeah. I just know absolutely diddly zip about Adele, mm -hmm. even though she's kind of the most famous person on the planet yes, or whatever. And I was, A, I was completely taken aback by James Corden's voice, you know, his capacity to sing. <laughs> Fantastic. But also, yeah. I just, and then I watched a couple more and just so enjoyed his complete enthusiasm. Like, I know, he's got a beautiful manner. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in an era where um often comedians can um achieve a lot from being um, you know, cynical or skeptical about or the people. That, yeah, or yeah. just taking the piss. It's just great to see somebody with such incredible puppyish enthusiasm yeah. and to see it really working. You know? Did you watch the Stevie Wonder one? No, I haven't watched that one yet. God. So Stevie Wonder rings James Corden's wife yeah. and sings... I just called to say James loves you. Yeah. And James is like crying, crying. <laughs> this is Stevie Wonder, like, you know, actually singing it. It was amazing. Um, but, yeah, he's got a really lovely, um, I don't know, just warmth and enthusiasm. I just, after I watch any of those, I just walk around smiling like a lunatic. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy it. I watched the Sia one as well, which was pretty great. Do you know, yeah. I wanted to shamelessly rip that off and do it with Neil Finn, oh, right. who I interviewed the other day. <laughs> Clang! Um, and, Ouch. yeah, they didn't want to do it. And I felt like, oh, come on, James Corden's not going to do Neil Finn because he's only doing, like, massive, you know, international, um, you know, superstar yeah. household names. Um, and I just reckon that would have been really fun to drive around with Nick Seymour and Neil Finn. Who knocked that on the head? Oh, well, they probably didn't want to spend that much time. Did, did you Maybe they listened to the podcast and heard my singing. They were like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, um, yeah. Hey, speaking of your um, clangy recent interviews, I haven't spoken to you about interviewing Justin Timberlake, but I <laughs> do know that our clang, um, our mutual friend Gwen has a um, seven-year-old boy called Samson who's like a massive Justin Timberlake oh, really? fan. Oh, he's, sort of, he's not at all impressed by you, but he's super impressed by Justin Timberlake. Right. And when he saw on the television, he's like, but that's, that's me yeah. interviewing Justin Timberlake. So uh, next time you see that boy, Excellent. he's just going to be, you all know, like genuflecting. Like mm. Mission accomplished. How, how, what was he like? He was very, he was extremely pleasant. Uh, he, he was what I would describe as very on all the time. Oh, okay. Um, like, I don't think I got anywhere near the real Justin Timberlake, but we had, like, a good amount of rapport because he was on. Mm. Um, and, yeah, he was very, he was a bit hammy. Yeah. Uh, right. But, yeah, he was a nice, he was a nice enough chap. Um, every now and again, he'd get a flash on his face, and I'd be reminded of... Um, 
what's the character in the social network? Sean Parker, who oh, he yeah, played, yeah. who's like this sort of Peter Panished guy, yeah. but also with a sort of little vein of ruthlessness. Yeah, and every okay. now and again, That's Timberlake would get a look on his face and I'd think, oh, I just saw like... Oh, the real JT. Yeah, I just saw a tiny hint of ambition and ruthlessness in there. Um, but no, he was generally very polite and nice. Our... Um, other mutual friend Miranda, who's very funny, um, has a bit of a genius for making up um, team names for trivia nights. Oh, yeah, like, I'm really bad at she's that. She's good at everything. She's yeah, good. but um, she made up a name once that I've used several times, even when she hasn't been there, um, which is to call your team the Justin Timberwolves. <laughs> which I don't know why it makes me really laugh, but it just does. I just think it's hilarious. That's <laughs> great. Well, she's I... the one who came up with Chat 10 Looks 3. That's true. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Hi, so, Murph. Hi, Murph. She doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Thanks for everything you do for us coming up with our trivia team names. <laughs> yes. Justin. Oh, yeah, she, it's a she'd listen to this. Yeah. She'd be like, I hear enough of those annoying bags. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Speaking Being nonsense around my like kitchen than me. table. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Relying on me for a liquid one line. And it's, <laughs> that's one of mine. Yeah. That's one of mine. <laughs> Um, now, I left on your desk and I was also working on a ballet called Wayne Swan Lake, which made me laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the time I was going to, um, actually it's nothing like this time, but I just want to insert this gag. Um, <coughs> I had this ambition when I, I um, lived in Canberra um, to, um, <laughs> to set up a, um, uh, a erotic... Japanese restaurant called Miso Horny. <laughs> oh my god. That's so terrible. I don't know why I even mentioned that. Yeah, I just, yeah. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Moving right along. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> um, so listen, I left on your desk and I don't see it here, so I assume you've taken it and hopefully started reading it. Hillbilly Elegy by oh JD god. Vance. I read the whole thing. Oh great. I, read, okay. I just picked it up and I was um, flying somewhere and so I thought I'll just start this and then I just motored through it in a day. It's really, really good. Yeah, it is good. So this is a book that is, um, it's been quite notable in the US over the past year or so, but post the election of Donald Trump, it's just everyone's talking about it. So it's written by a guy who grew up, he's the grandson of full-on hillbillies who mm. grew up in Kentucky, who lived in Kentucky, and then they moved into the outer suburbs of, I think it's Middletown, is that what yep. it's called, Ohio? Yeah. And uh, in areas where it was sort of, and I'm not using the word hillbilly in a derogatory manner, that's his choice of mm -hmm. word, um, and then it's sort of his upbringing in a poor white working class family basically, yep. and he then joins the Marine and through dint of his own personal discipline and hard work and um, scholarships, gets to Yale where he mm. studies law, mm. and he's now written this amazing book about what it's like growing up in the white working class and why people might think certain things about yep. politics and politicians and stuff. And it's, it's such a um, beautifully written and very personal story. It's, it's, it's not really sort of a polemic so much as a reflection and a mm. memoir, you know, of his own life. And he's so... Um, Done in a very loving way. Yeah. It's not even remotely patronising of his own family or anything. It's but very... it's also very kind of... It's very straight. And he says something really interesting in the foreword. Where he says, look, you know, these are these are all people that I love who have, you know broken laws, attacked people, um, beaten each other up, stolen stuff, you know, taken drugs. And um, I love them all and some of them are just so crazy I can't be around them all the time. Um, but, you know, this is my family and this is, um, 
it turns into, by the end, this quite profound reflection about how you get out of that cycle of poverty and how um, unavailable the kind of ladders out really are. Absolutely. And also how when you do get out, like him, there's still um, things trying to pull you back all the time, like you still carry the baggage of that. The things too that I found really interesting were, you know, so a lot of it's the sort of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, I guess, get, getting to Yale. But then it's also what I found really interesting was the experience of then when he's actually got a toehold in this mm. world um, of the elites, um, how it's the fish out of water stuff. And he yeah. said, I never, there was never a time where I was with my law class where I thought, I wasn't smart enough to be there. Yeah. But he said it was the fact that the thing that was missing in my experience was the social capital yeah. and knowing how to fit in with this group of people and that, you know, you don't um, take your friends to crack a barrel for a mm. meal, no one's eating there. And also he pointed out, which I thought was really interesting in light of, you know, in Australia at the moment and at the ABC there's a lot of talk about diversity. Um, he said, you know, so I went to Yale and there was diversity of sort of culture and religion and so there were Muslims and Jews and um, African Americans and white kids and mm. all the rest of it but he said I was the only person who came from my social class yeah. and so the, there was still all of those people still went to elite private schools before yeah. they went to Yale so basically they had their sort of different cultural backgrounds but their upbringings and their formative experiences in education were almost identical um, so he sort of made the point that um, he really was not able to meet people like himself in that yeah. environment. It reminded me a bit of, you know, I'm always banging on about that um, revisionist history yeah. podcast series by Malcolm Gladwell. He did it. There's in in that series there are there are three sort of linked podcasts where he talks about um, uh, education and um, the capacity of. Um, children and young people who live in poverty to gain access to an, a ladder of education, you know, out of their um, circumstances and how difficult that is. And that's what really struck me. And it's a great, like, it's three great podcasts. Um, but it was just that sense of this guy, J.D. Vance, the writer who wrote Hillbilly Elegy, says, look, it's, it's amazing how many things have to fall into place all at the same time in order to get out. Like you, you need to have, um, you know, he said, oh, I had a, you know, a perfectly passable high school um, and primary school, like all of the education steps were there, but it's the fact that I'd go home and there was nowhere quiet in the house that mm. I could work. I was moving house every few months because his, his mum kept like hooking up with these new guys and then they'd have to move house and mm. I just, I had no um, regularity in my life. I had like drug abuse in my life and all this sort of stuff. And um, in order for him to be able to even have access to the educational opportunities that were there, he needed to have a kind of a, a safe place and the knowledge that he wasn't going to get smacked around and, you know, mm. some predictability in his life. It's just the tiringness of dealing with all of that mm. is what kind of, um, he, he writes, kind of pushes people off the ladder. Well, and it was pretty much, I reckon it was... Going, joining the Marines, actually, that sort of yeah. basically saved him and got him, you know, um, basically taught him discipline and just structure and routine yeah. and all of those things that he needed then to apply. But, but, you know, the thing too about the level of, like, how hard he was working when he was at community college yeah. in Ohio, two, two jobs and sleeping about four hours a night and just yeah. to try to be able to make ends meet. The other point he made that was really interesting was that he was saying 
if you could get a scholarship to Yale, it was financially better than trying to get yourself through the local community college because there was more money at Yale for, for you to get yeah. financial support. Yeah. This is a point that um, um, Gladwell makes that I found really surprising in his podcast is that he was saying that it's, it, there is no um, shortage of, you know, bursaries and systems for, you know, finding the brilliant kid, you know, at a state high school that's, um, uh, you know, from a poor background. Like, there's plenty of resources deployed by those big flash universities. But there's a real, like, they, they struggle to find and extract those students because by the time they get to high school, they're already um, flagging back, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just such a, a tragedy. It's also, you know, it's no small thing if your family is all in one location to uproot yourself and go yeah. somewhere completely different. Yeah. And not only are you doing that, so not only has J.D. Vance done that geographically, he's done it socially as mm. well. So you're basically displaced on a number of levels. And so it's hard. Like, not everyone is able to do that, you know. He writes quite a bit about, I mean, I would say reading it, he's clearly a Republican. He writes a lot about personal yeah. responsibility and, um, you know, he, he sort of, he does point out that there's government policies in place that are unhelpful, but he also says there's got to be personal responsibility. You've got yeah. to stop drinking, you've got to stop taking drugs. And I think he points to something that he noticed is different from his grandparents' generation to the younger generation, which is just the scourge of drugs, yeah. cheap drugs. Um Anyway, it's well worth a read. It was really interesting. It's great. I, I was reading that article um, the other day about um, you know Christmas reading for politicians. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, was in, it was in the Oz. Um, someone had done a bit of a. Um, I think it was Troy Bramston, possibly had done yeah. a bit of a whip round, um, asking um, Australian politicians what they were um, uh, planning to read over Christmas, and like uh, just so many of them <laughs> were going to read this particular book. Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. Yeah, there was a bit of, It was funny because I always liked looking at, as we've discussed before, politicians' lists of favourite books and what they're reading I know. and stuff like that. I was I'll, looking for anybody who said, you know, what was the one that you... Uh, oh, look, I was a little bit suspicious of Richard Miles because he'd, he'd said he was reading over summer, he's going to go back to the classics, and he picked, was it, what was it, Huckleberry Finn and... Um, yeah, and... Um, oh, it was another real, real, uh, just sort of staple of literature, I can't remember what it was, um, but I just thought, oh, that's, anytime someone's reverted to the classics, I'm yeah. just instant suspicion, but there was, it's actually pretty, some pretty good, um, you know, and interesting choices of reading material. Yeah, I'm just trying to find that article now. Actually. I also I respect mind. people who go, yeah, I'm just reading, and then nominate the new Danielle Steele pot boiler or something, because <laughs> I just think, well, at least there's a bit of honesty. Oh, bugger. I can't find it. Uh, we'll put it on our link, which reminds yeah. me. Go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com. Is it .com or .au? .com. .com, I think. Oh, God, now you've buggered that up too, Brenda. Sales. Brenda. I think it's um, .com. And you can follow us on Twitter at chat10looks3. And if you like us, leave a review on iTunes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, just quickly, because we're nearly out of time. Oh, bugger. Um, you got something else to talk about? Oh, I need really briefly. Oh, uh, so I um, uh, did a sort of conversation event thing with Stephanie Alexander. Oh, I just cooked something um, in her book the other day. Yeah, yeah. so that book, her new book is called The Cook's Table. Mm -hmm. 
and it's really, really good. Yeah. And it's look, it's a satisfyingly heavy, like it's the same size as the Cook's Companion. Right. Um, which, you know, as do you, I think I have in my kitchen and, you oh, know, refer to constantly. And, and also, the Cook's Companion is so gigantic and every mm. single thing that I want to cook, I can look up the index and find it in yeah, there. Yeah. So what? how can she fill up a whole other book? Okay, so this is a different um, structure of book and I, I kind of like, she's quite original sometimes in the way she structures books. For instance, in the Cook's Companion, the most... Um, useful part, I think, or the most original and great part is is the way she just lists what ingredients go with each other. Oh, that, that is where you just like, so well, you know, useful. figs they go with blah 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 blah. Unbelievable, just, brilliant, yeah. yeah, love it. Anyway, so the interesting thing about this one is it, it's it's a re it's a book of menus. So oh. there's like about twenty five different menus, and it's you know like a a teenager's birthday party or. Oh. Um, a big feast for a bunch of people that you don't necessarily know all that well. Ah. Or, you know, so it's quite emotionally intuitive. But in, in, in most of them, they are kind of based on some meals that she's had that she then kind of... So with that, each menu, you get a bit of a, like, this is where I... This is what this menu reminds me of, or I right. had this... You know, I was travelling in, you know, Tuscany or whatever. Right. So um, all of that's kind of interesting, but, like, they're quite eclectic, some of these um, menus. And you, you, you read through it, you go, oh, yeah, look, this actually would be really handy. The other thing that she does um, is, with each menu, it is the most military ex execution. She includes about three pages worth of just completely precise instructions. So it's like, two days ahead... Do this, this, and this. Oh, Your great. shopping list is this, 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 and this. Oh, I mean, great. you'll be right. You'll be oh, up this like a cold. rat up a drain pipe. Well, lady. that's like something I went to cook the other day, and it said leave this stuff to marinate for overnight. I was like, oh, oh no. no. Yeah. yeah, I hate that, you know. <sighs> or, you know, get to the end of the recipe, put it in the oven, which you've been preheating for three hours. <laughs> um and then it's, you know, um, the day before your function, <coughs> the day of your function, in the morning. I love that, like, two days out is things like, Check napkins and drape and napery. <laughs> just like oh, oh wow, heavenly yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really, um, it's really, really good. And um, it, I get, she's quite a thoughtful cookbook writer, I think. And it's, I think she often approaches recipe writing as a way to to reassure the reader and to give them confidence that yes, I can pull this off without getting incredibly flustered and right. ending up in a oh, that's pile, a great pile way of, of tears. looking at it. Yep, it's also um, very beautiful and it has. On the cover, a painting um, by um, uh, Cressida Campbell. So uh -huh. it's just incredibly beautiful. We love it on every Which level. I think Cressida Campbell doesn't normally allow her work to be used for book covers, but she's made an exception. Is Cressida Campbell still alive? Correct. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Mm, she's um, now, just um, have you got anything else? Um, oh, only that um, I just. Did, was it you that showed me that, um, I think it was a BuzzFeed list of 50 funny campaign placards, like rally placards? No. Um, what did you, what did you I send sent me that was funny? 100, um, Sorry, 100 then. things <coughs> that had made people in Britain laugh this year. Oh, on Twitter? Yeah. God, that was so funny. Oh, I actually I was, was just in tears. sobbing Same. laughing. I was in tears oh, of laughter. Um, that was just... And because and it's cumulative, it's a list, you'll be laughing, laughing, and then look at the next one, and then by the end I was just... It's like watching an episode of Veep. You're just completely out of control. Um, 
Just two quick things. One is there's a an article that I know you've read that Andrew O'Hagan wrote for the New Yorker. Yeah. He's a beautiful writer um, about friendship in the modern age and undocumented friendships. And he writes about his um, friend when he was a boy that he has no contact with and has never been able to track down again. Fascinating. He had a friend with a quite a normal name, like a sort of, you know, his name was like... Peter mm, Smith. Yeah. Or, yeah. And he writes about these long summers that they had of being bored and, you know, making up things to do and, and that Flashing sort of... the torch to each other at the window and three oh. flashes is this and, you know, all that stuff. Because they lived yeah. across the street from each other, right? Mm. And so they'd have this Morse code, um, two flashes means I'm here. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it, it's such an interesting um, and very beautiful reflection on what it's like to be so close to somebody and then just... 30 years later, not be able to find them. Ever. Mm. And, and yet also not being all that upset by that, just knowing, you know. Just having them warm in a glow that they were once there. Yeah, it's, it was so beautiful. And it was a really, I don't know, I, I, um, I was, of course, just in buckets of tears by the end of it. And yeah, like, it was very I defy moving. you to read the last line without just going, go, go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really yeah. good and very moving piece. It just reminded me of the song, Now You're Just Somebody That I Used To it's... Know. Um, the other thing is, send, and I can't even really talk about it because I know that I will start just crying immediately because I've been crying nearly all day since I watched it last night. Please like me. The episode last night was just unbelievable. And you would, you I think, are now crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even say any more about it. But um, if you watched it cold, you would find it very affecting. But if you've been watching from season one, episode one, mm -hmm. as I have, it just and it was it was brilliant. Like the writing was just so brilliant. But I cannot speak of it any further. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So you need to you need to watch that. Now we're going to um, do a Christmas episode next week. We are. In which we get shickered and, you know, talk about the year that was. I've got the champagne already. Great. And so um, we are going to talk about our favourite things of 2016. Oh, love. <laughs> it's been a long one, hasn't it? 2016. So we're compiling our lists. Well, I'm compiling mine. Yeah. You'll probably wing yours. But that's right. And, uh, and, yeah, so we're going to do that next. We should Saturday do um, Christmas cooking too, like what you're planning to cook as a Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll add that. I'll write that on my list right now. Yeah, I know. I know that you're keeping a list so that I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Check the napery. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>